Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. While you're being seated, let me encourage you to take out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Psalm 121. Psalm 121, as Micah referenced earlier in the song, we're, we're going to be looking at this psalm. Last week, we looked at the psalms, and, and really just over the last, uh, last week and this week, my heart, my desire as, as your pastor and as the blessing to get to preach uh, to you and, and with you through this journey is that over the last week and this week, we would just be encouraged, that our eyes would be lifted up, that our hearts would be stirred, that, that all that we face, all that, that we see around us, all the, the turmoil and trouble of this world, that, that oftentimes as believers, we just need to lift our eyes up. We've got to stop uh, staring around us and, and look to the Lord. And so uh, this Sunday, I want to kind of uh, finish that idea with Psalm 121. And then next week, church, we're going to begin this fall a journey through the book of 1 John. The journey through the book of 1 John. Wonderful book of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I look forward to walking through that over several weeks together uh, starting next week. In his book, uh, A Long Journey in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson writes about this idea of being a Christian in this world, that we are pilgrims in this life, that we're, we're walking through this world. And I just want to read to you just kind of a, a snippet of how he describes the Christian in this world when we're facing this life. Listen to what he writes. He says, The Christian life is not a quiet escape to a garden where we can walk and talk and uninterrupted with our Lord. Nor is it a fantasy trip to heavenly city where we compare blue ribbons and gold medals with others who've made it to the winner's circle. The Christian life is going to God. In going to God, Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on. Breathes the same air, drinks the same water, shops at the same stores, read the same newspaper... We are citizens under the same government. We pay the same prices for gasoline and groceries. Fear and danger are subject to the same pressures. We get the same distress and we are buried in the same ground. The difference. The difference is that with each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know we are preserved by God. We know we are accompanied by God. We know we are ruled by God, and therefore, no matter what doubts we endure, what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil. He will keep our life. What a beautiful summary to this idea. We walk the same road as everyone around us. We're, we pay the same taxes. We buy the same gas. In fact, he says, we'll be buried in the same ground, but as believers... As those who know the sovereign Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of hosts, the creator of heaven and earth, those who, who know him as Lord, we understand that every step we take, every place we go, every trial we face is not some random happen chance, not some accident, not some chaos of the cosmos. It is God divinely orchestrating all things so that one day we will see him face to face. This is the beautiful hope of the believer. We have a purpose and a plan and we have a passion for life because we know this is not our home. We are pilgrims on the way. This is exactly what the psalmist describes in Psalms 121. Look with me at the text. Let's hear the psalm together this morning. The psalmist writes in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will never slumber nor sleep. 
The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, now as we look at this psalm together, this psalm of the pilgrim, this psalm of the traveler, this psalm of the one who is in this world, but we know it's temporary. The psalm, as Eugene Peterson tells us, is walking in this life, but we know we are headed to God. Lord, remind us through this psalm that no matter what we face in this world, you are with us and you love us. And Father, more than any of that, you will deliver us. Oh God, lift our eyes this morning. Give us hope. Remind us again of the joy of our salvation. Remind us again that you are the God who watches over us. Remind us again. Remind us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look in your Bible, there's probably a subscript at the top of the psalm. It says a psalm of ascent. There are about 12 to 15 psalms that they describe as a psalm of ascent. And these psalms were written uh, by a psalmist. We don't know the case. We don't know the cause, but we know how it was used. And that's what the the term psalm of ascent is is, is referencing. That when the pilgrims of Israel in the Old Testament would make their religious journey to Jerusalem, they would use the song of ascent as their traveling song. This would be their prelude to worship. This would be the song they would sing on the dusty roads of Israel as they traveled to Jerusalem for one of the many feasts that they might celebrate, like the Feast of Tabernacles or or the idea of uh, Passover. When they're traveling to Jerusalem, this would be their traveling song. So as you read it, you can see it's got a pilgrim in mind. As I'm walking, my foot may slip. Lord, help me. As the sun's beating down on me, Lord, help me. As I'm camping in the night, Lord, help me. You can can see this idea that the psalm is written as one who is traveling. And the psalmist is singing his way into the presence of God. He's moving towards Jerusalem in this time of worship. This psalm of ascent. Now, you and I, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, do not have to pilgrimage to Jerusalem. We don't have to find God in a specific place, at a specific location. We don't have to go look for Him in the Holy of Holies in the temple. Because we know that when Christ was buried and rose from the grave at His very death, the curtain of the Holy of Holies was ripped. The Holy Spirit now invades the world. It engulfs all believers where He is. You are where you are. He is because Christ is with His people. So we don't have to pilgrimage, we don't have to travel, we don't have to go anywhere. So unlike the psalmist in the Old Testament who's traveling to Jerusalem, who's trying to get to the Temple Mount, who's trying to seek God in the Holy of Holies, unlike him, we are traveling this world now with God, but but there's some similarities. We may not be traveling to the Jerusalem in Israel on the other side of the world, but oh, brothers and sisters, we're traveling to the eternal Jerusalem. We're headed to the city they call Zion, the mountain on the hill, the city of God, if you will. That's where we're traveling. So we may not be pilgrims trying to make it across to the Middle East, but we are pilgrims trying to make it to the heavenly homeland. And so we can see in the psalm this idea of how the pilgrim can be strengthened along the way. Because, oh, brothers and sisters, let us start with this very truth. There is coming a day where we will make it home. We will be there. And so until that day, what do we do? 
Because his life is hard. There is struggle. There is trial. There is tribulation. There is strife. There is uncertainty. There are things swirling about us. This world is full of chaos and and problems. And so as we are pilgrims on this way to home, to Zion, to the city of God, what do we do? Well, the psalmist helps us. In Psalm 121, the psalmist reminds us of how God will be with us on this journey. He reminds us how we're never alone, how we're never walking this path of pilgrimage by ourselves. He reminds us that God is with us and God goes before us and God will hold us and help us and strengthen us. He he reminds us of the very presence of God, that God is with his pilgrims. God is on this wagon train, if you will, headed to the heavenly west along the way. He is there with us. In fact, when you find yourself discouraged on this journey, this journey called life, this journey of walking towards God, this journey of trying to make it home into the the kingdom of God, when you find yourself discouraged or, or hurting or uncertain or trouble abounds, then I would suggest to you that Psalm 121 is where you should look. That you'll find in the psalmist's voice exactly what you need. And in fact, you'll see it in the first two verses there, this command to lift up your eyes. Now, why? Well, there's three reasons why he'll give us. The first one is simply this. We lift up our eyes to God because God is our helper. Lift your eyes to God because God is your helper. God is here to help you. God has surrounded you with his loving kindness. Let me show you what I mean. Let's get to the text. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The psalmist begins to sing out. If you read the rest of the psalm, which we will do in a moment, we see there that he says in verses 3 and 4 through, through really through verse 8, he says that my, my feet sometimes slip. The sun is sometimes really hot. The nights are really dangerous. There's, there's all kind of things that I'm going to face. And the psalmist, in the midst of his struggle, in the midst of his uncertainty, in the midst of facing trial, he breaks into song and it's a song reminding himself he's preaching in the mirror. He's staring at himself and he's asking those catechism questions. Where does my help come from? I'm feeling down. I'm feeling discouraged. I'm feeling broken. I'm feeling unsure. I'm not certain what tomorrow will hold. Where does my help come from? And notice his answer. He answers himself because he knows. He's not asking the question because he's somehow forgotten or he somehow doubts his faith. No, he's pilgrimaging to Jerusalem. He's traveling to Jerusalem. He knows where his faith lies. It is in the God who created heaven and earth is what he declares in the verses. But he's preaching to himself. And brothers and sisters, this is good for us to hear because we need to remind ourselves over and over and over and over. Every morning when we wake, Lord, I'm going to face a lot today. I'm going to face uncertainty, I'm going to face anxiety, I'm going to face fear, I may face tragedy, I may face struggle, I may face strife, I may face health issues, financial issues, family issues. There may be things that I'm going to face today that I can't even put into words. And when I face those things, Lord, where will my help come from? And listen to the answer, my help will come from the Lord. From the Lord. He doesn't say my help will come from my strength, my wealth, my health, my cunning, my morality. It won't come from my neighbor, my friend, my government. It won't come from anywhere else but the sole source of the help of the believer. The sole source of the, of the strength of the believer. The very cornerstone in which our faith is built is the Lord himself. God will be our helper. That does not mean that we do not find help in other places. Certainly we do. 
We find help in the strength of our abilities that the Lord has given us. We find help in the strength of our church family that the Lord has surrounded us with. We find help in a lot of places. But ultimately for the believer, when we face trial, struggle, and strife, we declare, where is my help coming from? It's the question we must all answer. Where does my help come from? Who is in charge? Who is overseeing all of this? Who will strengthen me when I find nowhere else to turn? The psalmist answers it for us. The help comes from the Lord. Notice the words that he uses. He says, from where does my help, or, or excuse me, verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Now again, think of the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is called the city on the hill. The temple is on the temple mount. If you've ever had the experience of being in Israel, or even looking at it, you'll realize there aren't really mountains in Israel. It's not a very mountainous place. It's, it's not like staring at the Grand Tetons of, of Wyoming. It's, it's not very mountainous. And in fact, to build the Temple Mount, they brought the sand in. They built it up. They made it higher on purpose for a place of worship, for the grandeur of the temple. They, they built it up. And so as a traveler of Jerusalem, walking the dusty paths, making his way through Palestine, walking through Bethany and, and coming up from Galilee and traveling, it would be obvious that they would crest over the ridge and see the temple city. Sitting up on the mount. And so you can hear the pilgrim say in his voice, Where will my help come from? Where will I look? And as he very well answers himself, he, he looks up to the temple mount, he looks up to the place where God is, he looks up to the Holy of Holies, and he says, My help will come from there. My help will come from the hills. My help will come from the mountain. And when he says there, when he says the mountains, when he says the hills, he, he doesn't say that somehow on top of a mountain you'll find help. He's saying simply this, that God is on that mountain and that's who will help me. That I will find my help in God. He lifts up his eyes and he looks to the Lord. Now I want you to notice this word help here. Where will my help come from? Now we use the term help a lot different than the Bible. We might say, I, I need some help to mow the grass, so we hire someone to, to mow the grass. We might say, we, we need some help in, in driving to the doctor, so we find someone who can give us a lift. Or, or we might hire help when we manage a business, and they're under us, and they work for us, and they're, they're just trying to lighten the load, but that's not the Hebrew word here. The Hebrew word used here literally has the picture of majestic power. It is the picture of unmatched, unworldly, unearthly, not from this realm help. It is the fact that the psalmist says, I have found myself in the place where I have no hope apart from anything in this world. Nothing will help me. I need the majestic, unearthly, not from this realm help of God. I need something different. I need something outside of this world. I need, I need God to intervene in a way that nothing in this world can even begin to lift. I need God to move. So the word help here means majestic power from a different realm. It's the idea that the Lord is with us. Moses understood this. Moses would describe God as his helper in the Psalms, but Moses would also begin to give the speech to the nation of Israel when he was going to give up his life. His life was coming to an end. He was transitioning authority to Joshua, the next leader of the people. They would begin to march into the promised land. Who knows what they would face? Who knows what they would encounter? There was certainly some anxiety and uncertainty of the giants that lived over in that land as we read earlier in the Bible. They're not sure what to do. Excuse me. And Moses begins to give them this speech. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, listen to what he says about the Lord in Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear. Be not dismayed. 
Brothers and sisters, I, I don't know everything that's going on in your life, and, and certainly all of us face our own uncertainties and our battles and our struggles, and, and I don't know what the phone call tomorrow will bring, but here's what I know for sure. God is your help. God is the one who will lift you. God is the one who will be with you. God is the one who will walk you through those things. God is there. And notice verse 2 with me. It says, deliver me, or excuse me, uh, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Notice the word there, Lord. It's capitalized in your Bible, most likely L-O-R-D. Anytime you see the word Lord capitalized in your English Bible, it is a reference to the word Yahweh, the covenant name of God, the personal name of God given to Israel. And with that name, God has made promises that I will be your God and I will not leave you or forsake you, that I will guide you, that I will lead you. We find the name of Yahweh all through the Old Testament and we find the apostles pulling it into the New Testament, showing us Jesus is that very one who walks with us. But the very covenant name of God is built with promises. And so why is that important? Because the psalmist says, God, I'm calling on you to be my helper and you've promised to be my helper and God cannot lie. God will not go back on his word. And so he's, he's literally coming to God and saying, God, I'm asking you to do what you've promised to do. Now fulfill your promise and be my helper. And the glorious truth of it is, is that God always is our helper. He always fulfills his promises. He always does what he's promised to do. He's not like man that he would change his mind. We can find his help. But I want you to see just uh, three quick things about the Lord's help here that, that I want you to notice that's beautiful from this passage. One, I want you to see the psalmist reminds us that God's help is personal. It's personal. Look at the pronouns that he uses. I lift up my eyes... From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The psalmist is not speaking necessarily collectively, though the psalm will turn into a collective song. We believe most likely that whoever is leading this marching song, if you will, that they would sing the first verse in first person pronouns by themselves and then the the congregation would come in in verse three and on and sing together that it was a a repetition type song but but we see in these first two verses this personal idea that that God is my helper now let that sit for a moment and, and understand what I'm what I'm communicating to you from God's word brothers and sisters I don't know how you feel. I don't know all you'll face. I have no answers for all that will go on in your life. But I know this. The God who made you is your helper. He knows. He's listening. He's personal. He's there. As I shared with you last week, He is not some divine God from a distance, but He is the personal God who's with His people. And so He knows exactly what you're going through. And he will be your helper. There's not some level of Christianity where you don't get access to God, brothers and sisters. That's the beauty of Christianity. That when God, through Christ, saves you and redeems you and adopts you, you have the right to be called sons and daughters of God. And God himself avails his presence to you. And so therefore, there's no special Christianity. There's no secret levels. There's no hidden agenda. There is simply this. You are a daughter of the king. You are a son of the king. And the king is with you. He is with you. You know what this means? That my 12-year-old son, who is a believer in Jesus Christ, can pray his simple 12-year-old prayers, and God is with him. And my 93-year-old papa, who's walked with the Lord longer than I've been alive, who's facing all the ailments of life, can pray, and the Lord is with him too. He's with him. The believer who's facing persecution in the Middle East, God is his helper. 
a senior adult who's trapped in their home over the last few months out of fear and paralyzation. God is with them. This is the beauty of the personal Redeemer God. God is yours and my helper. Something else from this text we should see. Not only the psalmist reminds us that God's help is personal, the psalmist reminds us that God's help is powerful. Look, look at verse 1 again. Uh, excuse me, verse 2. He says, from where does my help come from? Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now, I, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, and so I grew up watching the Ghostbusters. And so you, you probably are familiar with at least the idea of the Ghostbusters. You probably had nightmares about the giant marshmallow man walking down the streets of New York. But the famous theme song of the Ghostbusters is, who are you going to call, right? The Ghostbusters. I thought y'all were going to echo the Ghostbusters back there for a minute. Thank you for not. That's, that's not good. But you, you call them. Why? Because when you have this particular problem, you call this particular group of people. Now, just, just keep that in mind for just a second. All of us have different particular problems, and they all draw us to the very end of ourselves where we can't solve them. And the personal God says, call me. And you might say, well, well, God, I would call you, but I'm not sure you can fix this. And then the psalmist reminds us who we're calling. We're calling the God who put the oceans in their place and carved the rivers with his hands and placed the stars in the sky. We're calling the God who created the myriads of angel choirs and who cast the demons into the chains of hell. We're calling the God that holds all things together, forms all things, sustains all things, redeems all things. We're calling on the God who created heaven and earth. There is no higher calling than calling on the Lord. And so he says, when you need help... God is personal to you, but He's also powerful for you. Why? Because His power can be seen in the fact that He's made all things. When I get on my knees beside my bed and I cry into the night, I am talking to the God who spoke the very cosmos into creation. I am talking to the God who told death to let me go. I am talking to that very God. When God helps you, it is a personal and powerful help. But notice with me something else from the text. Not only is it a personal help and a powerful help, it is a perfect help. What do I mean by that? Look again at verses 1 and 2. Don't miss it. I lift up my eyes to the Lord from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Listen to what the psalmist does by taking the personal pronoun and the powerful God and putting them together. Here's what he does. He says, the creator of heaven and earth, the sole sovereign God over all things, knows me, made me, walks with me, and therefore when he helps me, it will be perfect help. You ever had somebody help you and it cost more trouble than it was worth? My kids like to help cook. They like to get in the kitchen and help make breakfast. I've eaten so many eggshells in my life, I think I'm turning into a chicken. That was kind of funny. Come on now. The idea is, is that they want to help, but the help is not necessarily perfect. But, but the psalmist reminds us in, in verse 1 and 2 that, that the sovereign God, the creator of all things, who is personal to me, knows exactly what I need when I need it. Therefore, his help is not only personal and powerful, it's perfect. It's perfect. This is what the psalmist reminds us of. Lift up your eyes, for God is your helper. 
God is with you and sustaining you. This is the beauty of the text. Truth number two. Not only do we lift up our eyes because the Lord is our helper, we lift our eyes for God is your keeper. Let me show you what I mean. Look with me at verses 3, 4, 5, uh, and 6. Listen to what the writer says. He will not, now notice he will transition here into kind of group text. He, he talks now to all of us. He will not let your foot be moved. He, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. And the sun shall not strike you by day nor moon by night. If you were to add verse 7 and 8 to this, the word keep is used six times in these few verses. The word keep here, your Bible may translate it as watch or guard over. But the word keep here literally has the shepherd context. The, sheeper, uh, the shepherd of the keep. He keeps the sheep. I got it there. It took me a minute. The sheep, he keeps them, he gathers them, he guards them, he, he watches over them. The Lord keeps us. He's not only helping us along the way, but he's, but he's protecting, he's keeping, he's holding, he's guarding. He will not let us go. The great shepherd will watch over his sheep. Now, what does it mean for God to keep us? Well, let's just look at the context clues of the text. One, it means that he will guide us. Look at verse three. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He won't let your foot slip. He orders your path. He places your feet. He, he holds you to where you're supposed to go. He, he keeps you the way, the direction that you're supposed to be moving. He, he walks with that. When my, when my legs are wobbly, when the decision is unsure, when anxiety is there, when I, when I find myself quivering in paralyzation of where should I go, what should I do, we simply hear the word of the Lord saying that He will not let your foot slip. He will not let his children fall. I think sometimes because of the stresses and strains of this life, we feel as though we have fallen. But brothers and sisters, to be without God and cast into hell is to fall, and God will never allow that to happen. He doesn't let us fall. He doesn't let our feet slip. It might seem wobbly. It might seem shaky might seem unsure, might seem uncertain, might seem like the gravel's moving under our feet. He says, He will guide us. This means that I can trust Him. That when I'm walking along life's path and, I, and I'm not sure of what's happening, I, I can trust Him. In fact, we find this in, in, in the New Testament. We find it in uh, the writings of the apostles. We find it in uh, the Psalms. We find it all through this. Psalms 55, 22, cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. He holds us. He guides us. What else does it mean for the Lord to keep us? Not only is He our guide, what does the shepherd do? But He guides the sheep. He, he, he moves them around. He, he helps them. He keeps them. He watches over them. But not only does He guide to be our keeper, to be our watcher, to be our guard, means He protects. He protects us. Look at the text. Notice what it says. It says, first of all, in verse 5, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The, the sun shall not strike you day or the moon by 
night. He's protecting us. We have this idea of shade on our right hand. We've seen it in the text before. We've seen it throughout the Bible before that we are under the shadow of his wing. We are in the shadow of the cleft of the rock. We're, We're under his care like a hen who gathers its chicks. We are guarded from the turmoil of this life because of God. And so the the psalmist declares that the Lord protects us, that he that he guards us, that under the the shadow of his presence, we are safe from the harms of this world, that he that he pulls us in. He protects us. In fact, he says the sun will not strike us. What do we learn from his protection? Let me just give you three ideas quickly about his protection. Number one, simply this, as our keeper, as our protector, he is never far. Listen to what the psalmist says. On his right hand. Listen now. The Lord is your keeper. Verse 5. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. Right here. He's, He's here. He's not far. It doesn't say the Lord looks down from heaven every once in a while and checks on you. It doesn't say he comes around that you're one of so many Christians that you get called every couple of years and you're on his schedule and he comes back around for the OSHA occupational Christian check-in, right? That's, that's not what he says. It says simply this, he's on your right hand. And here's the beauty of this text. The beauty of this text is that it was written before Christ. And so this writer is writing about a God that he's marching to see in Jerusalem. He's writing about a God that he would see in a cloud coming over the desert or the God who would split the sea, the God who would speak through the prophets, the God who was there but not always there and the God who they prayed to but wasn't always there. But we see this now through the cross and we know that the God who's on our right hand is also the God that's inside of us. The God who watches over us. The God who cares for us. This is what David would write in Psalms 139. Where can I go that you are not? If I take my flight on the morning and go to the end of the earth, you are there. If I go to the depths of Sheol, you are there. You are before me. You are behind me. David would even say in Psalm 139, you hem me in. You are there. Brothers and sisters, the help of the Lord, the watcher, the keeper, the protector, he is not far from you. He is not far from you. He is there with you. He is watching over you. He is on. He's not just on his throne looking down, but he's with us. Not only is he never far, he's never off. He never clocks out. Listen to what the word says. Verse 4. Behold, he who keeps either Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. If you go down to verse 8, it says he's with us from forth, or excuse me, from this time forth and forevermore. Verse 6, day or night, he's with us. He never takes a day off. He never clocks out. He never goes on vacation. He never calls you and says, hey, by the way, next week I'm not going to be God over your life, so you better stay inside and lock the doors. That's not what he does. He's always there. 24 hours, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, every day of your life, God is there. He's with us. He's protecting us. He's walking with us. This is what a shepherd does. He does not leave his sheep. We were swimming as children. I was swimming with my children and we were at the beach and the oceans were coming through. And, and I have three children uh, and their work. And, um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm keeping up with one and I'm keeping up with another and I'm, I'm putting goggles on this one and sunscreen on that one. And, and I mean, mamas do nothing. We know that. And so I'm, fe- I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm feeding them, you know, and, and, but I'm, but, but the dad, the dad goes in the water. That's, that's what the dad does. Mama does all the goop. Mama does all the hair. Dad goes in the water. So I've got, I've got one, I've got two and the wave comes and knocks over the third one. 
And there is rolling, and there is sand, and there is slobber, and there is goggles, and there is spitting, and there is just a moment. You know the feeling. There's a moment of fear. And, and, I, and I thought to myself as, I, as I'm reading this, I was close. I almost had them. I was almost there, but, I, but I, had to, I had to take my eyes off of this one because I was watching this one. I couldn't do it all. And the psalmist says, God is on my right hand. And he never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never takes his eyes off me. He never stops watching. He might be watching you, but he's still watching me. He may be watching that group and that group and this group and that country and that nation, but the sovereign God is still watching his children. He never takes a day off. What a beautiful thought for us when we think about the protection of the Lord. Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He never gets tired protecting his children. Finally, I would tell you a third thing about this protection is simply this. Not only is he a keeper that's never far, and he's the keeper that's never off, he's the keeper that never fails. Look at verse 6. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The pilgrim's talking about his traveling to Jerusalem, and he says the desert is hot. And at nighttime, the temperatures can drop and can be very cold in the desert. And so there is all kind of perils of night and day. There's robbers to watch out for. The, the treachery of, of traveling through Middle East in this day is tough. And so there's, there's a constant need to be on guard. And so what does he tell us? The Lord won't let the night get us or the day. He never fails. He's always there. Now, let me be clear. This does not mean we won't face difficulty or danger. This does not face, mean at times we won't feel emotionally or spiritually or physically defeated. It won't ma- this doesn't mean that we won't get hurt or harmed. This text does not mean that our life will be rosy and perfect all of its days. Here's what the text means. That whatever we face, it will not. It may hurt, but it won't harm. It may have problems but it won't win. It may bring difficulties, but it won't be the finished product. What the text reminds us is that God is doing something. And remember, the pilgrim is on his way to God. He's on his way to Jerusalem. So wherever God leads his steps, whatever harm the sun may bring, whatever the moon may do, it is all to prepare the pilgrim to get to God. And so, brothers and sisters, life is hard. We are buried in the same ground as everyone else, but that does not mean that life will have its victory because the Lord never fails. In fact, the writers of the Scripture will tell us, even in 1 John and even over in the Old Testament, we find these words, that darkness is light to God. That He takes all things and moves them for our good and His glory. And that leads us to the third and final truth from the text, and that's simply this. We lift up our eyes... We lift up your eyes, for God is your deliverer. Now I want you to see this last two verses because he now moves, just like Psalm 46, to the future. He skips down the road a ways. He skips into the long arc of eternity. He moves the verbs and the context and the sentence structure to think of eternity. Notice that the words now become futuristic. Look at verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He is now looking. 
He's looking at tomorrow, he's looking at next week, he's looking at next month, he's looking at next year, but he's also looking into the long arc of eternity and he says, when I see, as far as I can see, when time crashes into eternity, you know what I see? I see God is still there. God is still holding. God is still protecting. God is still delivering. God is bringing us to a place. The pilgrim will reach Jerusalem. The Christian will reach Zion. God will deliver us. This is the beauty of the text, that whatever the the trials and tribulations of the journey, whenever our feet may fail, whenever our strength may weaken, whenever the sun feels like it's scorching and the moon feels like it's freezing, whenever the problems arise, here's the beauty of the climax of the psalm, God will get his people to the city of Zion. God will deliver us. And notice the words that he uses. You're coming out and coming in. Every detail of your life is in His hand. Everything you do is in His hand. Every part of you, your, your goings and your comings, every detail He cares about. He'll bring you home. He'll deliver you. Oh, there are times where this world just is awful. Harmful. Hurtful. Devastating. But in the long arc of eternity, God will bring us home. God will deliver us. James Gray wrote a hymn years, years ago in the 1900s, 1903. He wrote a hymn that's called The Road Leads Home. This is the words, you see the final chorus there. It says, There is comfort on the journey. There is also a God and a chart. There is wisdom for asking. And there's solace for the heart. There is no need of turning to the left or to the right, and no fear needs stirring the bosom at the coming of the night. For the road leads home. Sweet, sweet home. Oh, who would mind the journey when the road leads home? What a beautiful truth for us. What a wonderful truth. Can can I just close by reminding you of the gospel? The psalmist here tells us that the Lord helps us, keeps us, and delivers us. Is that not the good news? I was sinking deep in sin, sinking to rise no more. And what did the Lord do? He reached down through Jesus Christ and He saved me. He helped me at my darkest moment. He saved me when I was full of sin. He rescued me from the damnation that set before me, the rebellion that my heart again. He helped me when I could not help myself. Oh, the blood, listen to me now, just like the pilgrim who walked to Jerusalem and was looking for the hill of the temple, we too walked to Jerusalem, but we look at a different hill. We don't look at the temple. We look at the hill outside of Jerusalem. We look at the hill called Golgotha. We look at the hill called Calvary. We look at the place where Jesus died and His blood flowed down. And there He cried, all who have sinned, come to me and I will make you clean. I will forgive you. I will give you rest. That's where we look, brothers and sisters. That's where our help comes from. Our help comes from the hill too, but it comes from the hill where the cross is. The Lord helps us. Not only does He help us, but He keeps us. What does He tell His sheep in John 10? My sheep hear my voice and I will lead them. Nothing's going to destroy them. Nothing's going to get them. Paul would say it in Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He keeps us. And then finally, brothers and sisters, because of the gospel, not only has he helped us from our sin, not only does he keep us on the journey, but oh, he will deliver us. Philippians 1 and 6, I believe this, that he will finish what he started. 
Christ will complete the work that He has begun. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, to whosoever believe Him will have everlasting life. Brothers and sisters, Psalms 121 gives us hope on the pilgrim journey. God will help us. He will keep us. And blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ. He will deliver us. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for these words of assurance. Thank you that we know from the psalm that you will save us and deliver us and rescue us. Thank you that you will be our help and our guide and our protector. Thank you, Lord, that you never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Father, that while we don't understand all the struggle and trial of this world, you know we're pilgrims on the journey and you're preparing us for the city of God. And so, Lord, at times it may feel like you've, you've forgotten us. It may feel like our feet are slipping. It may feel like we're being crushed. It may feel like the sun is scorching. It may feel like the night is winning. But God, remind us. Remind us that you're not far that you never take off, that you never fail. Remind us that while we don't understand and we don't see all of the trials that this world may throw at us, remind us that there is coming a day where we will walk forever into the city of God. And you will do what you have promised to do. You will be with us for now and forevermore. Oh God, remind us. Brothers and sisters, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. I must first ask you this serious question, this clear question. Do you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here in the room, but the, but the answer to the text is Jesus. The answer to the text is always Jesus. That if you want God to deliver you for all eternity, if you want God to safely see you home, if you want God to gather you into the eternal city of Jerusalem, Zion, the heavens, if you want God to bring you into His house, then you must come to Jesus. But there is no other way. There is no other help. The wonderful thing about the Gospel is that God has helped. He has sent Jesus to die on the cross, to be buried and rise from the grave. So, so here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that if you, if you desire, if you call out to Jesus, that He will save you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ came and died according to the Scripture for the sins of the world, for your sins, and was buried and rose from the grave. You must look to Jesus and Jesus alone. Or He will deliver you. Oh, brother, sister, if that's, if that's your need today, then I beg you, come to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Ask Jesus to save your soul. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a believer, but you feel broken, you feel hurt, you feel confused. You find yourself spinning and all that the headlines of the news are feeding us. and You, just, you feel yourself feeling downtrodden. Then, then maybe this morning you just need to lift your eyes. Just lift your eyes again to the hills. Lift your eyes again to Calvary. Lift your eyes again to the God who's with you and who loves you and who will keep you. Lift your eyes again to the God who will deliver you. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. We're going to sing a song that will declare God's goodness and His love. I invite you this morning. Maybe you want to come to the altar and pray. Then, then come on. Maybe you want me to pray with you. I'll be glad to. Whatever the case may be, I, I pray this morning you will leave here lifting your eyes. Father, lead us now, we pray in Jesus' name.